Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, Episode 62. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, science, and psychology with an emphasis on the great 19th century philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. In this episode, I will be exploring the groundbreaking work of Thomas Kuhn, and in particular his book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, published in 1962. Now, why am I devoting an entire episode in this? Well, I believe it's very important. Kuhn coined the phrase paradigm in his book, also paradigm shift, which those terms are now ubiquitous. And I believe that paradigms do play a significant role in the lives of individuals and societies, as well as in most scholarly disciplines, including philosophy, science, and psychology. I'll be getting into this in a lot of detail. But first, let me state the conclusion that I reached in preparing for this episode. And it is this, that I believe that the modern world, the world we live in, is currently operating under a distinct paradigm. And by paradigm, I mean, quote, perceptions, frames of reference, worldviews, value systems, or lenses through which we see everyone and everything, including ourselves. They add meaning, true or false, to the world around us and affect the way we interpret what we see and experience and how we interact and relate with others, end quote. That's from Stephen Covey, by the way. Now, let me be clear. It's not that nearly 8 billion people on planet Earth share the same paradigm. Far from it. But what I'm going to be talking about are the educated classes in general. And this change in paradigm, this paradigm shift occurred during the Enlightenment as, as well as with Darwin's theory of evolution. And it is, it moved into the, in, into the intelligent class, became the new paradigm. And the, uh, this class of people moved away for the most part from traditional religion and into a more scientifically based worldview. This occurred over several centuries. It began in the 16th century with the scientific revolution. And the result is that we now have a materialistic, naturalistic worldview or paradigm that pretty much dominates in the, in the educated classes in the world. Not everywhere. I'll be getting into that. But let me list some of the tenets of this naturalistic materialism that, that are most important. Number one, that life emerged spontaneously on planet Earth from raw chemicals. Two, that the minds we humans have are the result of evolution alone, meaning that the mind is an epiphenomenon of the brain. That the, Three, that there is no inherent meaning or purpose in life other than what we make of it, which happens to be the current existentialist view. Four, that the origin of the cosmos is unknown. Five, and it's also unknown what why it has the laws that it does have, the cosmos, that's unknown. And finally, six, if science does not know the answer now, it will sometime in the future, because this is the paradigm that we operate under. So those are the basic tenets of the scientific materialistic paradigm. And my position is that this paradigm is deeply flawed. And I'll be discussing in this episode how the worldview of Hegel provides a better understanding of the true reality of mind, nature, and spirit. And yes, spirit which is basically ignored by the current scientific paradigm. So that is what I intend to show in this episode. I know it's a big task, but Kuhn's work, interestingly, provides a basis that I can use to tackle this issue from a scientific framework as well. Okay, Thomas Kuhn. 
We've discussed his work several times before, particularly in episode 12, 17, and 26. And, but I felt it was necessary to do a full episode on him because it's, it's so important. First, some background. Kuhn was an American philosopher of science. He was born in 1922 and passed away in 1996. He grew up in the New York City area and attended Harvard University, both undergraduate and graduate schools, where he obtained a PhD in physics. He taught the history of science at Harvard for nearly a decade before moving on to the University of California, Berkeley. And it was there that he wrote and published his seminal work, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, in 1962. And that is the work that we'll be focusing on in this episode. Structure, as it is called for short, presents the theory that science does not proceed by incremental improvements to its knowledge base. What actually occurs is that science develops a paradigm and holds on to it dearly. It is only after sufficient cracks in the paradigm appear that the paradigm is questioned, and then a new paradigm emerges which explains the anomalies. And a paradigm shift occurs, and the process begins again. Now, structure had enormous impact in many fields in the 1960s and 70s. Some thought it was one of the most important works published in the 20th century. But let me back up a little bit and talk about the philosophy of science in general, which was essentially Kuhn's field. The philosophy of science as a discipline began in the 20th century with logical positivism, which was an effort by some philosophers to codify what was valid philosophy. There are many people that contributed to the logical positivism movement, but essentially its belief was in verificationism, which means that a statement is fundamentally true only if some finite observation backs it up. Therefore, metaphysics would be rendered meaningless, as would Hegel's philosophy. I remember a good friend of mine years ago telling me that metaphysics was a joke. So this belief of verificationism persists. And I'll be contending later on that this logical positivism view still prevails today, not just by my friend, but among the educated classes in general as the dominant paradigm today, even though it has now been fully discredited, as I will show. American philosopher Charles Pierce, we've discussed here often, particularly in episode 52, was one of the first philosophers to question his verificationist attitude. He rightly pointed out that it is very tough to differentiate the pure immediate sense from the observer's interpretation of it. His whole semiotic philosophy is based on that. It is a threefold system that there is one, an object, two, the sense or perception of that object, and three, the interpretation of it, of that sense or perception by an interpretant. So it is not just a perception that counts, but our interpretation of this perception that counts. This throws a monkey wrench into the logical positivist's claim that all philosophy must be backed up by physical experience. If the physical experience is subject to interpretation, then you're back to philosophy, and you've really gotten nowhere. And this reminds me of Hegel's important notion that everything is both immediate and mediated, everything. Another critic of logical positivism was the 20th century philosopher Karl Popper, Popper believed that the problem with induction dealt a death blow to verificationism. This follows from David Hume's original criticism that when we observe something occurring, we cannot automatically assume it will repeat. That is an assumption. And just because my neighbor walks her dog every morning at 7 a.m. does not mean this will go on forever. 
and a famous philosophical story, just because Immanuel Kant took his afternoon walk at exactly the same time each day does not mean that it will go on forever. But this applies to the laws of science as well, not just walking your dog or taking a walk. Just because the sun rises this morning, I assume it will tomorrow, but that's an assumption. It's a good assumption, but it's an assumption nonetheless. And we cannot use an assumption to verify absolutely some law or prediction. It becomes circular reasoning. Say I flip a coin a hundred times and each time it comes up heads. I will assume that the next time it will come up heads. If science has 100 confirmations of an event, it would deem it scientifically proven. It scientifically proves many things with a far smaller sample size than 100. But assuming that the 101st throw would be heads is an assumption, not an absolute fact known in advance. Remember, it is theoretically possible for a coin toss to show heads a thousand times in a row or more. It's theoretically possible. And then eventually come up tails. Popper developed his own theory of how he felt science should operate. It's called the concept of falsification, which is this. Unless there's a way to disprove a hypothesis or theory, then it cannot be considered science. For example, the law of gravity could potentially be falsified. A person could levitate, for example. Other than magicians, anyone could conceivably falsify the theory of gravity through an example. But it's when you get into gray areas that it becomes clear. For example, ESP, extrasensory perception. In order to be a valid scientific theory, it would have to be conceivable. Because one cannot get their hands around ESP, since it evolves spooky action at a distance. This is a term Einstein used once to describe quantum physics. It's tough to prove that ESP doesn't exist when you're not even sure what it means to exist in the first place. So as of now, it is not a valid scientific theory. That is why today many do not consider psychology or sociology a science. It is hard to falsify many claims in these disciplines because they, they tend to be more fluid and take many factors into account. Now, it's not that there's no meaningful insight in these disciplines. There certainly are. and it, they, They're just not what many would call hard science. So the grounds of the logical positivism movement were shaken by Pearson Popper. But it was Kuhn's structure that dealt the final blow. So let's get into it. Basically, in his book Structure, Kuhn presents his theory that science does not progress bit by bit as accumulated knowledge, but essentially works within one paradigm for a period of time. Everything is judged by that paradigm. Eventually, the existing paradigm becomes problematic, and a new paradigm is developed, and a paradigm shift occurs. A good example that Kuhn uses and analyzes is the Copernican Revolution of 1543 that stated that the Earth rotated around the sun and not vice versa, and that the Earth was not the center of the universe. Another example is, the, is Einstein's revolution, which upended Newtonian physics. Now, Kuhn identified five phases of paradigm development. Phase one is the original phase is pre-science. It only occurred once before science was established at all. Phase two is when science as we know it begins. A dominant paradigm is developed to explain things. All questions are researched within that paradigm structure, and great progress may entail within that paradigm. Yet anomalies can creep in. Usually they are resolved, but not always. If these anomalies grow and don't go away, normal science becomes more difficult within the existing paradigm. And you move to phase three. 
Due to mounting anomalies, the paradigm itself is threatened and a crisis period begins. This is only resolved by embracing a new paradigm, which is sought for. Which brings us to phase four. A new paradigm is found then and is established to encompass the anomalies. And then five, the new paradigm becomes official and all new questions are solved within this new paradigm. What is significant here is that the new paradigm is fundamentally different from the old. It is a leap. It's a paradigm shift. The new paradigm cannot be defined by the old paradigm. It is not a gradual progression of knowledge, but a jump, a leap. In many ways, like I said before, it's like a Hegelian sublation. And, and Kuhn's book made a dramatic impact, not just on the scientific community, but in areas of philosophy, sociology, economics, and political science. And as I said before, the current paradigm among the educated classes is what I call scientific naturalistic materialism. But cracks and anomalies are beginning to appear in this paradigm, particularly in physics, as a result of the strange findings of quantum physics. The problem is that the macro view of the universe as developed by Einstein does not fit with the micro world of quantum physics. Einstein acknowledged the problem and spent most of the last years of his life looking for a solution. And even within the micro world of quantum physics, there is a crisis. There are many scientific hypotheses as to just what is going on in the strange world of quantum mechanics. In particular, what is the role of an observer or the, a measurement in actually manifesting reality? And if you are unaware of the many anomalies in quantum physics, I urge you just Google quantum strangeness or quantum physics or some such thing. There's so much out there on the internet that's very easy for novices to understand. So physics, I would say, is currently in phase three, the crisis phase. And most physicists admit it. Our understanding of the physical world is going through a crisis, and consciousness is in the picture and is not readily dismissed. This is particularly hard for many scientists because they see only mechanical laws operating in the universe. That is their paradigm. Consciousness has nothing to do with it, or so they believe. And they, however, cannot explain how an, an elementary particle materializes in one place only when observed or only when measured. The current paradigm does not see mind as fundamental at all. As I said, it's just an, seen as a, an epiphenomenon of matter formed through blind, purposeless biological evolution. Which brings us to Darwinism, speaking of evolution. Now, Darwin's theory of evolution was a paradigm shift for science, a big one, and it's the dominant belief today. While some anomalies have shown up, they've been dealt with satisfactorily so far in the minds of most scientists. The biggest anomaly with Darwinian evolution, in my view, is why life appeared in the first place and why consciousness and or mind appeared in the second place. However, because the paradigm is entrenched, if a scientist values their career, they will not question this prevailing paradigm of Darwinism. Perfect example is philosopher Thomas Nagel. We've discussed him before, particularly back in episode 45. And his book, Mind and Cosmos, Why the Materialistic Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. He argues that current Darwinian thinking is incomplete. And he's not coming from a religious standpoint, but a scientific one. He's an admitted atheist. He bases his argument that Darwinian evolution cannot explain how life appeared or how consciousness developed among living things. And unfortunately, he was thoroughly denounced by his profession for the book. For example, in, the, in an influential article in Nation, philosophers Brian Leiter and 
Michael Weisberg thoroughly trashed Nagel's book. The article is entitled, Do You Only Have a Brain? On Thomas Nagel, a philosopher's broadside against Darwinism and, and materialism is mostly an instrument of mischief. That's the title of the article. In it, they say, quote, Are we supposed to abandon a massively successful scientific research program because Nagel finds some scientific claims hard to square with what he thinks is obvious, end quote? And pop scientist Steven Pinker even tweeted, commenting on this article by these two guys, quote, What has gotten into Thomas Nagel? Two philosophers exposed the shoddy reasoning of a once great thinker, end quote. So, obvious, the crisis stage has not yet hit Darwinian evolution. But Nagel, if read objectively, makes a compelling case that blind materialistic Darwinian evolution cannot be the entire story. Contemporary philosopher Alvin Plantinga makes a similar argument. We've discussed him before. His evolutionary argument against naturalism also says there, more, there must be more going on. We know that evolution is driven by the four Fs, feeding, fighting, fleeing, and reproducing. Abstract thinking and logic are not part of the equation because blind Darwinian evolution is no design plan aimed at getting at the truth, only fighting, fleeing, feeding, and reproducing. Again, Plantinga and Nagel are not denying evolution, just saying that more is going on. So what about Hegel? Let's come bring it back to Hegel. Hegel is often referred to as the last complete system philosopher after Plato and Aristotle. And in that sense, we can look for a Hegelian paradigm. Let me quote Professor Thomas Cahoon. Quote, Hegel's influence was incomparable. He had presented a total system of the world, which included not only physics and the sciences, religion, ethics, but even a history of the world, a total system that was supposed to be ultimately religious, while at the same time actually describing in scholarly detail what had happened in the history of the world. It was truly a theory of everything, not only everything metaphysical, but everything historical. We could easily say this was the last great system, and the rest of the 19th century was a period of dealing with Hegel, either pro or con, end quote. Now, that's quite a big statement, a theory of everything. Is Hegel's philosophy a paradigm? I believe it is, although it is far from receiving general acceptance, even in philosophical circles. Currently, there is not one single paradigm among the educated class of philosophers. There are basically two camps, analytic and continental, and I may do an episode on this in the future. Analytic philosophers would follow mostly English and American philosophers, particularly Bertrand Russell, where Continental splits into several sub-camps, including existentialism, German idealism, and phenomenology. However, I believe a grand paradigm shift may be just beginning, which will affect not only science, but philosophy and psychology as well. And I believe the trend of this paradigm shift is in favor of Hegel's philosophy. And basically, I believe this is because we're on the verge of including consciousness mind as part of all and everything. And this may take generations, even centuries to work out and be generally accepted. But that is the path we are on. It is up to us, those that believe mind is foundational to all, to promote and foster this counter trend wherever possible. Now, when I say theory of everything, I don't mean that Hegel's philosophy can predict what you will have for breakfast tomorrow or who's going to win the lottery nor will it provide the answer to combining the micro and the macro in physics, although it might provide a framework to do just that. 
But I do believe this philosophy provides an overall general framework for what is happening here, and it includes rational thought, nature, and the sublation of those two with spirit. Again, as I said in the beginning, I believe that the naturalistic materialism worldview of the educated classes is beginning to show cracks, particularly in physics. Overall, we're not quite in phase three yet, panic. Physics may be, but in general, no. But there are growing concerns within the naturalistic materialistic paradigm I've covered. And I also mentioned before, and I think it's interesting that, that Kuhn's paradigm is a form of Hegelian sublation. It is a form of lifting up the old system into a new one. For example, when Einstein came up with his theory of relativity, he didn't have to go and explain what space and time were. There were already established concepts for Newton, but he sublated that and, and came up with his new version of the universe through his theory of relativity. But the same is not true for challenging Darwin's theory of evolution today. That is still the holy grail. Look what happened to Thomas Nagel. But there are some cracks in the blind, random, purposeless materialism of Darwinism, however. Today, you often hear of the hard problem of consciousness. And by so doing, scientists and philosophers are admitting that it's a hard problem. And this means that there's a crack, if you will. It hasn't been resolved, but it's something that is at least getting some space in professional periodicals, and there's some degree of openness to it, although certainly naturalistic materialism still holds sway. Now, as a side note, please don't mistake me when I mention materialism. I'm not talking about a desire for fine things or possessions. I'm talking about the basic notion that all is material, all is protons, electrons, neutrons, subatomic particles, and everything develops from blind randomness. Everything. Beethoven's symphonies develop from blind randomness. And the fact that we have minds, is just a product of this random process. Now, what's interesting, though, is if thoughts are just products of neutrons bouncing around in our brains, a neutron itself is not right or wrong. It's not truth or uh, falsehood. So when we think a statement is correct or incorrect, a truth or a falsehood. Are we saying that a particular neuron is true or false? I don't believe so. So what we think cannot be reduced down to a neural pathway of interaction in our brain. Our minds have a life of their own. No, I'm not saying that the mind is separate from the body in some other realm. Mind is a part of us. It is part of the universe from the get-go. This is the shift that must occur, though, however. And it's a shift toward recognizing consciousness. Just one other point I'd like to make. There are many educated people who are people of faith, of different religions, and many believe in the human soul and spirit and a higher purpose, and the religions can and do provide a paradigm for many. And I'm not saying they need to give that up. Hegel himself, remember, was a deeply religious person. He defined God as spirit, and this spirit lives within us. And I should also address, before we end, a big part of Hegel's philosophy, and that is freedom. In fact, the whole history of the cosmos may be viewed as a quest for freedom in Hegel's paradigm, for spirit to come to know itself and to come to know itself in its own freedom. But this is not how the current paradigm sees things. The current paradigm denies free will. One of the thought leaders of the naturalistic materialism paradigm is Richard Dawkins, biologist Richard Dawkins, and he argues that our genes are responsible for everything we think, say, or do. He argued this in two famous books, 
the Sophist gene in 1976 and the God delusion in 2006. He doesn't believe in free will. We're just no more, no better than programmed robots and programmed by a non-thinking gene, not a thinking organism. Let me quote leading biologist Jerry Coyne, another thought leader in the blind evolution camp, quote, Among virtually all scientists, dualism is dead. Our thoughts and actions are the outputs of a computer made of meat. Our brain, a computer that must obey the laws of physics. Our choices, therefore, must also obey those laws, end quote. I can't put it any clearer than Dr. Coyne. He's expressed the paradigm absolutely. These people believe that the body is a computer and we must obey our genes, that we're not in charge. You see by these quotes, I'm not making this stuff up, and there's so many more. And these people like Dawkins and Coyne, they go relatively unchallenged today because they spout the doctrine blindly. This is the current naturalistic materialism paradigm, and this is the current situation we are in. So, the title of this episode is What's Your Paradigm? And I ask all of you to consider this. Do you believe that life has a purpose? Do you believe you have some freedom of choice? Do you believe there's a purpose to the cosmos beyond your own goals and aspirations? Do you have a philosophy of life? I believe Hegel's philosophy provides answers to these questions and provides direction for one's life. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening once again. Please remember to tell your like-minded friends about the Cunning of Geist podcast. Help spread the word. Share links to this podcast on your social media. And remember, you can follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist, where I post commentary in between episodes and engage in good discussion with many listeners there. You can also follow me at Twitter, at Cunning of Geist. References will be provided shortly on the podcast Facebook page. And I will be eventually posting a transcript of this episode there. Thanks again for your support. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.